it is with great pleasure that I turn this over to Sandeep. All right, great. So like Debbie mentioned, uh, just to, you know, as, as of right now, I work in the inpatient and outpatient setting as a psychiatrist, uh, work with young adults, adolescents, and uh, older adults all the way up until, you know, the elderly. Uh, and our focus point is going to be more on anxiety uh, and kind of just speaking and also making it so a bit more normalized and understandable. So that way, if you're dealing with it or know someone that's dealing with it, uh, you can potentially help or find a way to support them uh, so they are in a better place of mind as well as yourself. So in saying that, uh, keeping it very basic, you know, anxiety, what is it good for? Uh, hopefully you're going to spend the next uh, 30, 45 minutes, give or take on identifying, understanding and managing in today's world. Uh, obviously, this pandemic is a curveball for all of us in dealing with things that we've never dealt with before or learning how to be with our families all over again and uh, kind of just managing on a on a day to day basis. So to begin, just uh, don't have any relevant financial relationship or affiliation with any commercial company. All right. So the breakdown uh, things I'm hoping to address uh, step by step is going to be you know, just speak a little bit on the introduction. What is anxiety? Uh, coping skills and then treatment styles uh, with then a summary question and also question answer. So Debbie did mention that we'll have a dedicated question and answer uh, period of time at the end. Uh, but with these type of presentations, especially being the first one, uh, if you have anything that you want to ask or a question throughout the presentation, I'm more than open to talking and having that discussion through uh, sometimes. First question, can anxiety be healthy? So yes, so the one big thing that I see with clients, uh, young and old, is they'll start to get anxious at the fact that they're just anxious. Or somebody will tell them, you know, you worry too much, and then that starts to consume them. And so often I will have to help educate them on, you know, it's health, it's, it's okay for us to have anxiety because anxiety is sort of that, uh, that, that, that motivational underlying, that motivation underlying that gets us going on a day to day. Like, you know, if I don't pass this test, what am I going to do? Or if it's a deadline, it, it gives you that energy and boost to get through it. However, the healthy anxiety uh, should go away once a deadline is finished or once you have completed whatever task you were supposed to do or fearful of or anxious about, et cetera. So good, good one on that. Now, why is it important? The thing about anxiety and the reason I speak about it all the time, going back to my earlier point on, is it healthier? Now, why is it important? The thing about anxiety and the reason I speak about it all the time, going back to my earlier point on, is it healthy or not, is it's important because it's something that can affect anyone, it can consume anyone, it can impair anyone, uh, and it can, it can impact us at any age. You know, so I'm guessing most of you are either aware or know someone that's been anxious or overtly anxious. Uh, and having some trouble dealing with it. Uh, and the other part of anxiety is that it can come and go at any time. It's one of those things that can fluctuate throughout our lifetime uh, or even throughout our, you know, a year, shoot, just over the last week or two. Every single day, I'm sure you guys see something on TV and somebody political is telling us one thing, a scientist is telling us something else, and we're all quarantined at home, and we're like, well, now what? So it, it's really important just because it can be anywhere at any time. And because of that, before we go any further, just always like to talk about just a few stats, not to bore anyone on it, but just so everyone's aware of how common this can and is uh, 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 in these days. So some anxious stats. Uh, just want to identify first for 18 and up, the most recent stats show that 19.1% of US adults have a diagnosed disorder currently. Uh, and just want to emphasize that this is a diagnosis disorder, so it could be, and we'll, we'll speak about some diagnosed disorders later on uh, in the presentation. Uh, in, in regards to that, the male to female ratio it is higher in females. And so this is a very important part is that 31% of adults will experience an anxiety disorder across their lifespan, which is a pretty impressive stat given uh, the, the fact that it could be so impairing and impact us at any given time. Now, more importantly, younger adults. So adults in itself, 18 and up, 31%. If you bring it down to adolescents, nearly 32% between ages of 13 and 18 will have an anxiety disorder. 
I just want to emphasize the fact that this is an anxiety disorder, meaning if 32% can have an anxiety disorder, nearly 50 to 60% or more can have just anxiety that might not meet the full criteria of a psychiatric disorder, but that doesn't mean that you're not experiencing uh, anxious symptoms, feelings, uh, or distress on a day-to-day -day basis, which will still need some type of help or uh, counseling or sometimes even therapy. Uh, and between the adolescent breakdown, uh, females were th uh, diagnosed at 38% and males at 26%. Uh, and again, this is between 13 and 18. So it just goes to the importance of knowing how to help and uh, being able to identify it at early onset. So that way you get the help you need and be able to conquer it and uh, kind of reduce that the severe or more functionally impaired pairing anxiety as you get older. Uh, so now what is anxiety? Now, before I break this down, uh, how many, and it could be open or if no one wants to answer, that's totally fine. But has anybody thought of why, what is the difference between anxiety and worry? Sarah, let's see. Because okay. like anxiety can be more long-term while worry is more short-term. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so if you had to break that down definition-wise, what would you say uh, anxiety is and what would you say worry is? Um, anxiety, I feel like, is long-term and it impairs your day-to-day, -day, like uh, what you do day-to-day -day versus like worry is something that's like temporary and it doesn't necessarily can, it won't necessarily impair what you do every day. Okay, great point. Uh, so just to expand on that, one key element of those two is, uh, you know, anxiety, right? It can continue to but is if you have, let's say, a test in three weeks and you're worried about that test, uh, technically you could continue to be worried about that until the test is over. So one, the key element you want to find uh, identify is that a worry is an identified stress. So if it's a deadline, a test, et cetera, you're able to complete it and once it's done, the worry should go away. And to your point, the reason anxiety is lingering and keeps going is because it has that fear of the unknown factor. Like I take the test and like, oh crap, now what if I don't get, I don't pass? What if, if I don't pass, I don't go to college? What if I don't get a job, et cetera? So it kind of really quickly snowballs it quickly snowballs into this other aspect. So that fear of the unknown is a key element because if the unknown is so so huge that anything can come into your mindset and then continue to uh, trigger that anxious distress. So great answer on that. So now because of the things we just mentioned, the way I like to describe uh, anxiety from the get-go is that it's a chameleon. And the reason I say it's a chameleon is because it has many different faces. It can trigger us in ways that we would never think. I mean, currently we have a pandem pandemic going on and you know, four or five weeks ago, we had thought of it. We knew that it was on the other side of the world. Now it's closer to home and it's starting to impact us on a day-to-day. -day. But part of the pandemic is that it's an identified worry. But on day-to-day, -day, if you know someone that's been diagnosed with coronavirus or if you know someone that knows someone, then it starts to become more of a real-time anxiety because that what-if scenario starts to arise on what if it happens to me, what if my family gets it, et cetera, and it's closer to home. So the chameleon aspect can, uh, the reason I also say that is because at its, at its most severest form, anxiety can even mimic other mental health disorders. If, it, if, it's all, if you have an anxious thought, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but if you have an anxious thought and you can't stop thinking about or worrying about or being anxious about that thought, whether it's your home, whether it's your family's health, whether it's school, whether it's a friend, then that thought will continue to linger in the back of your mind and it can actually impair the way you think and focus and concentrate. And I've had numerous clients over the years that'll come in and say, you know, I can't think, I can't focus, and I think I have ADHD. And then after we dive down a little bit more, we come to find out that they've been really worried, overwhelmed, and unable to really manage their worries on a day-to-day -day basis. And the severity of that impacts them so much that they can't focus or think just because they prioritize their worries more than they do the, uh, the, the focus part. So they are actually diagnosed with an anxiety disorder over the ADHD element. And we'll talk a little bit more on why that's important because the treatment then going forward is much different as well. So loosely speaking, anxiety is a chameleon that fear the unknown factor. Uh, it's overthinking over things you can't control. Uh, you know, but the thing about an anxious mindset is we fear that we won't be able to get better or we fear that we 
uh, won't ever have that control. And then we get stuck between this rock and a hard place and you continue to overthink. And that's where that snowball effect can easily get the best of us. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but what, uh, something to identify either with yourself or friends or someone that you think it might be anxious is a lot of what happens with our mindset is we'll start to have these what if scenarios. Uh, you know, what if dad doesn't come home? What if somebody gets sick and they get me sick? And then next thing you know, I'm in the ICU or uh, I would go running, but, you know, they said to stay home and I don't really want to affect anyone or I would go. Uh, you know, play a sport, but I don't really think I have what it takes. So these yes, but scenarios that keep our mindset very uh, ambivalent, they give us a little bit of a yes, but then they also make us hesitate. And that leads to a uh, anxious mindset because we aren't even confident with our own, uh, uh, I guess our own feelings. So that way we have a, like the soothing technique that starts to become conditioned as a response and we just go about it without even thinking. So what if scenarios will start to occur? Yes, but scenarios will occur. And sometimes it will really become prominent when you're alone, when you don't have a distraction, or even at night prior to going to sleep. Um, another part of anxiety is that it can be internalized or externalized. Um, so if it's internalized, you might see someone that, again, can't think. They'll have sleep issues. Or they'll start to get uh, a bit more frustrated or irritated real quick, but you just don't know why. If it's externalized, you may see someone that's very nervous. They'll start becoming fidgety. They'll get uh, restless or need to pace back and forth. Uh, again, going back to my earlier statement on being a chameleon, if it's externalized and you become very restless or fidgety and you also can't focus or concentrate and you're, again, worried, that can mimic the hyperactivity at its severest of someone that has ADHD. So again, people can start to convince themselves out of an anxious mindset that they have ADHD and yet uh, they're actually very anxious. So keeping that in mind, um, anxiety, again, has many, many different faces that can continue to evolve as well. So now, diagnostically, just want to allude to some types of anxiety that can occur. Uh, there's separation anxiety. This is typically when we're very young and our loved ones put us in school for the first time or kindergarten, et cetera. And you're just like, oh, I don't, you know, don't want to be in school. Just I can't live without my family member, or my mom, et cetera. Uh, and you have a lot of distress. Uh, then there's selective uh, anxiety or selective mutism. Uh, basically, the concept behind this is uh, I'm good in other situations. I might be able to function, talk and interact at home. But if you put me in a social setting or a school setting, all of a sudden, specifically in just that scenario, I won't be able to speak. I'm so scared and fearful that I have selective mutism and I just can't produce my own spontaneous conversation or reciprocate a conversation in which we can uh, you know, then conversate or just have a dialogue. Then there's social anxiety. So the theme here is that you have this chronic fear of embarrassment that if I do try to talk, if I raise my hand uh, or if I give a suggestion that it won't be the right one and therefore there will be this severe embarrassment factor that goes with it that just shuts me down. So before even I raise my hand, I'm gonna just shut myself down and then just be scared and not know why I can't get past it. So social anxiety can also get to the point where we start to avoid social interactions uh, just because that, that fear of embarrassment is so huge uh, that I'd rather deal with anything anywhere else but that, uh, that potential embarrassment. So then I don't even try. And social anxiety can then get to the point where uh, you're unable to really be in social environments or around others uh, just because you don't have that confidence backing you. Then there's generalized anxiety. Loosely speaking, this is just being uh, overtly overwhelmed and difficult, uh, having a difficult time controlling what you worry about on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, the caveat to this is that uh, it is a rational worry. For instance, if it's a test, family, health, et cetera, something that can realistically be on your uh, anxious palate, uh, not so much on, you know, are aliens gonna come and get me? Nothing really bizarre. So just keeping that in mind. Uh, then there's panic disorder or panic attacks. So the, the theme here is that uh, you have a sudden burst. Actually, the, the back backstory to this is Eva, through evolution, we have this fight or flight response. And what happens in a panic disorder is that your fight or flight response starts to get activated at uh, un, unknown times. So you know, typically it's you know, fear of death or someone's gonna attack you and then we get this sudden response and we wanna try to get out or, or at least fight. What happens in a panic 
and disorder is you have this uh, overwhelming surge of adrenaline just because you fear that something bad is going to happen or someone's going to kill you. Uh, and it might be triggered by someone saying, hey, what would you like with your food? Or would you like fries with that? Or, you know, what size coffee do you want? And you get so overwhelmed, you don't know what answer they're looking for. You don't want to mess up. So it induces panic. You start to have palpitations. You get nervous, uh, stressed out. And uh, it can culminate to the point where at its severest form, it can even ha uh, you know, have you pass out. But typically, a panic attack will uh, go to the 10 to 15 minute mark. After that, it starts to cal calm down. If it doesn't calm down, your body will let you faint because it's trying to survive and you can't keep that level of adrenaline going past that 20 minute mark. Uh, and the thing about a panic attack versus a disorder is that you have, is you start to have these several times a month and you start to fear and be worried and anxious that you're, you're gonna have a panic attack. So you start to be more avoidant, you, you start to be much more guarded uh, and you don't let yourself even try. And that can start to really impair you on a day-to-day -day basis. Then there's specific enterophobic anxiety. So this is typically if you have anything that you're very, very scared of, if you're you know, scared of reptiles, snakes, uh, spiders, et cetera, but it's to the degree that you can't even bear looking at it, being around it, even if it's a hundred yards away. Uh, and that's more of a rarer type of uh, anxiety, but it does exist. Then there's unspecified. Uh, so again, given everything that's happening on a day-to-day -day basis and such as the pandemic currently going on, uh, unspecified anxiety would be something that is just un, either unnatural or unprecedented, like De Debbie was alluding to earlier, that make us feel a certain kind of way because all of a sudden we've transitioned into a new day-to-day uh, -day life. For instance, you know, no school. Oh crap! What am I going to do? You know, now I'm around home all the time, and this pandemic doesn't let me go out either. So how do I how do I manage? And it just these these varieties of anxiety get to you. They don't get to the point where they're getting to a diagnostic criteria of a disorder, but they get to the point where at least it impairs you to a certain degree. Last one is substance or medicine induced. This has been, uh, in, uh, there's been an uptick in substance induced anxiety, especially with, uh, you know, the cannabis becoming legalized. Um, the, you know, the cannabis isn't what it used to be and uh, meaning in the percentage of THC. And what I see a lot of clients experiencing these days is they either get some THC that's uh, much more potent than that they've used before, or they'll be in a social situation where they've never smoked a bong and all of a sudden someone's like, yo, smoke a bong. And next you know, they do it and then they get, get really anxious, they get really paranoid and they don't know how to control it. But then the reason they smoked the bong in the first place is because they didn't want to get embarrassed that they didn't know how to smoke the bong. So it's, a, it's all these weird things are happening, but the substance itself then can make you so anxious, so paranoid that you start to become very fearful and it can start to go away once the substance is out of your system. But the caveat to a substance induced anxiety is that memory can be so everlasting that it can instill fear and anxiety for you going forward. So I've had a couple of cases where uh, like two, three years ago, there was a client of mine at 17 that went to the Lollapalooza, hadn't smoked weed and all of a sudden did with uh, three or four of his friends. And uh, apparently it was a joint that was too powerful for him. And as he was smoking, he went to go put something away and then he couldn't find his friends. And I don't know if you've ever been to Lala or a big, big, uh, a, a concert series of that sort, once you lose your friends, you could really start to get anxious, but this kid just lost it. And since then he's been more and more paranoid around friends or social situations whenever there's marijuana involved. Uh, and just start to get anxious at the fact that he might feel the way he did a couple years back. So that's just loosely speaking, some of the types of anxiety. Now, what can it affect? Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of brushed on a variety of different things, but um, overall anxiety, like it can affect literally anything. So it can start with, you know, our feelings, our mood, it can lead to our, uh, you know, impairing our thoughts, the way we think about things, our focus, our concentration, like it can affect our personal comfort, especially now, you know, if, if you're anxious at getting coronavirus, which everyone you know, has a healthy anxiety, but I've seen clients where they're already six, seven feet away, but they'll be like, no, talk to me 10 feet from here. Don't be getting you know, further and further. So it can really uh, impair how we are with our own comfort. And therefore we can avoid situations or people. It can impair our sleep uh, and then functioning, whether that's in school, whether that's at work, our social lives, or even at home. 
uh, as well. How do I talk to mom all day long when, you know, I'm used to just saying, oh, my day was cool. You know, uh, it can also impact our confidence. And this is a huge element as well. So confidence, again, if you are overthinking and you say something that you don't feel is the right fit, uh, or if you're very anxious, what happens is I will say, oh, hey, what's, what's up, man? If I see someone and if I don't get that quick reaction, like somebody giving me a nod back or within two seconds of other person saying, oh, I'm, I'm good, how are you? And instead I say, what's up, man? And the person just walks away. All of a sudden that gives me a lingering trigger and I start to think, well, shit, did I say the right thing? Did I say the wrong thing? Is it, you know, did I bother him? Should I have said something else? Crap, now he's gonna tell somebody else that I said something stupid. And it starts to really impact our confidence and our assertiveness just off of one small uh, you know, statement. So that confidence is a huge factor and a part of the treatment when we're helping uh, youth or young adults of all ages um, in, in, in restoring their ability to get through anxiety. And it can also affect your loved ones, right? So if you're very, if you're anxious or you're worried about stuff that's happening at school or anxious about things that are happening in school, you'll then impact, you'll you sometimes react or project your irritability or feelings onto your parents or your loved ones, your siblings. Uh, and irritability can be a big part of it where you just react and you get irritated over something so mundane. It could be your mom asking, you know, do you want, again, uh, do you want to go to the shop, the store with me? And you're like, oh, mom, I'm like, okay, I don't really want to. You're like, whoa, where the hell did that come from? So loosely speaking, anxiety is rated everyone. It can affect anyone at any age. So just keep that in mind. It's an everyone plays uh, and everyone can be affected. And just like any game, you just got to get better at managing it. Oh yeah, I had a quick question, sorry. Oh yeah, go ahead. So uh, when you were talking about earlier about panic attacks, so as mm -hmm. a bystander, uh, how are we supposed to help them if anything? Like, do we just tell them like breathe? Like, is there a specific thing we should do? Uh, so in, if someone's having a panic attack, what you want, the, the goal or the objective there is to, to ground them. So that way you can start to reduce their fear. So the way I try to help grounding them is like, all right, where are we? Where are we? Try to have them say even one word sentences. For instance, it, like the person that you've experienced, where did they have the panic attack? Where were you? Or what was happening? Oh, uh, it was in uh, someone's room. Like, someone's room. Uh, yeah. Okay. And was it just you and this other person? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, in, in those situations, grounding is the, is the main type of uh, situation. And you want to keep in mind, again, that you need to give them help for about 10 to 15 minutes. So grounding, it, it could be a variety of grounding techniques. So first, all right, so what was this person's name? Or let's say just Joe for the time being. Um, if the person's name is Joe, be like, all right, Joe, so where are we? Uh, and, this, and if he says, I don't know, man, I don't know, man, then you want to be like, no, come on, Joe, where are we? Uh, we're in your room, right? We're in your room. And then if, as long as he's able to say yes or agree to one thing, then the next question should be like a two-step question. All right, so we're in your room. And what was the last thing you ate? Right. And then we're in your room, you ate this last. And then what is it that you want to have next? Right. So step by step, you can try to ground them first in the physical sense. And then you want to ground them in the mental sense. Uh, and you could take it uh, sort of like I think it was a telephone game or game we used to play where you start with one, then you add on. So if he says yes to any one thing, whether that's it's in his room, what, it, what he ate or what he did last, what is it that you guys are looking forward to? Get him to agree. And then you could step by step by step, get him to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth. And usually we recommend walking him to the seventh degree of the question. So for instance, Joe, what, you know, we're in your room. You remember we ate this food last time. We were going to go to this restaurant next. But remember our friend was going to come with us. Do you remember that? Uh, what, we, what was the last time we did that? And slowly they, what happens with that is you're introducing more and more healthy and linked memories as a distraction so they can uh, allow their parts of your brain thinking to understand that you're not trying to survive, that there's no one trying to fight you, that there's no one trying to attack you. And they can start to soothe down that adrenaline. And then about 10, 15 minutes, they're able to get through it. Uh, along with it, if the person is hyperventilating, a bag of any kind can always help. And breathing techniques are, are, are very essential in that, in that setting, along with a little bit of physical sensation. So sometimes I'll pat someone on the back or just give a light massage just to know, just to have them knowing that uh, someone there is there uh, to help should they need it. Uh, again, the thing about a panic attack is it can have many different faces and many different uh, things that are tr being triggered at the same time. 
Uh, one last part about a panic attack is um, I would always, I always recommend asking them what their main panic or panic related fear is. Uh, just because it could be, man, I'm thinking I'm going to die or man, what I think my, my something's going to have my family, et cetera. So once you get that core theme, it can help you work towards that grounding. And then when you're done grounding them at the very end, be like, all right, so you're saying something about your mom uh, or, you know, uh, or if he says something like, uh, uh, I feel like I'm going to die 15, 20 minutes later, be like, all right, man, how are you feeling? All right, let's go get that food. Uh, all right, do you think anything's going to happen now? No? Okay. And then you transition them into another uh, setting. So that's also key as well, because sometimes a panic attack can be triggered by the most random uh, stimuli. And if that's the case, and you might not know it or be able to identify right away, I always recommend putting them into a different scenario or situation. So that way they can continue transition and absorb stimuli that can keeps their brain from going into that survival fight or flight mode and then help them uh, function a bit more. Okay. Thank you. Uh, no problem. Great question, though. Um, I was wondering if these strategies also work for yourself. Like, if you could try, like, if you also have, like a panic attack, do these work? Or not? Uh, they do. They do. And we'll 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 speak to it again in a in a little bit. I have uh, you know some techniques that we can uh, uh, discuss at length. But the main the main one is again grounding, breathing techniques, and then while you're doing breathing techniques or project uh, sorry. Uh, um, uh, relaxation techniques, what I usually recommend is let's say I, I count to 10, next time I count to 20, next time I count to 30, but then you are also trying to uh, have uh, progressive relaxation episodes in between it. So it'd be like, all right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and that could also be an alphabet. That can also be, you know, uh, you could you could you could make it even more extraneous or something that fits you. Like if you're into if you're whatever your favorite animal is, whatever your favorite DJ is, or your your color, you could even use that as parts of your uh, <coughs> uh, color. Sorry, um, counting technique. So it's like all right, one, two, three, four, five blues, six, seven, eight, nine, ten blues, right? And progressively you can move that up to 10 or 20 or 30 and typically again you want to keep in mind that 10 to 15 minute window is where the height of your adrenaline may reach so the more proactive you are in the first five to seven minutes the better your body will be able to bounce back and then self-soothe uh, and using uh, a skill that you have and again we'll, we'll speak a little bit more on some uh, techniques and I, I can even send over uh, to Debbie a uh, set of coping skills that vary uh, but the theme again with the coping skills is that you want to find one that works for you because so often what happens is uh, you'll talk, you'll speak with a counselor or a therapist or someone and they'll give you kind of these bland uh, type of techniques and you'll you'll try it and it won't work but then sometimes our own anxiety will tell us well it worked for everybody else it doesn't work for me that must mean that my you know i'm worse than everybody else and then that can get into your anxious cycle as well um but we'll, we'll get a little bit more uh as well but does that loosely answer i guess yeah thank you all right no problem all right, so again, coming back to how to uninstall anxiety. All right, so before we even talk about the details and you know, we already kind of alluded to some, uh, there's base requirements that I always recommend with any type of treatment, specifically with anxiety. Uh, and with these days, since social media and you know, the, the electronic world is so huge, uh, we can easily Google things that'll help us. We can easily Google things that'll not help us and or scare us as well. And so with the requirements, I always, uh, there's an essential amount of requirements when thinking about and, you know, help to give yourself or others. First and foremost, is it realistic and is it rational? Uh, and, and, and sometimes we, we're, we want to have this healthy optimism and our anxiety makes us feel that way, uh, but the coping skill or the skill you're trying to use isn't that realistic. For instance, I had a, I had a client or have a client uh, that would, uh, that recently about three, four weeks ago came back to me and I asked him, you know, what's your newest coping skill? And this, this, this client was a young, like 19, 20 year old who would commonly have three or four panic attacks a month, but he was really, really, really striving to get a, a set of coping skills that work for him. And he was also into cars. So he comes in and I ask him, you know, what, what have you been working on? And he's like, oh, well, I talked to my therapist. I got a coping skill. I'm going to be racing cars whenever I get anxious. Like, 
And I was like, okay, so let's have some more information. And, he, and he's uh, found a go-karting place in the burbs that he would go to at least once a week. And he's like, that's my distraction. That's what I'm going to do when I get anxious. But realistically, that's not that rational just because as a coping skills, you want something that helps you all the time, or at least when you need it, which takes us, you know, will it work for me? And it, the thing about treatment requirements is it might work for you once, but consistency matters and consistency in different experiences matter even more. So you want to make sure that it's something that can work for you and be able to, uh, you can accommodate um, depending on what situation you're in. Uh, and then that takes us to this, can I use it when I need it, right? So great, if you're anxious and if you have an unlimited supply of go-karts and you have a go-kart thing, go for it. But if you don't, then realistically, it's not gonna be there when you really, really need it. And just like we were talking about earlier, sometimes a panic can get the best of you that you can't function uh, and then it can really become scary, at least mentally or internally. So using it when you need it is very essential. Uh, and then are you strong enough to use it when you need it? Uh, and then how to measure its effectiveness. And then also what, then what the one thing I want to make sure is and sometimes a question comes up, what if all my anxiety goes away? And like we were talking about earlier, a healthy amount of anxiety is definitely needed. But what ends up happening with someone that's already anxious is that they become anxious at the fact that they're getting help. And then what if all the anxiety goes away and then they get anxious even more? So a theme to remember when it comes to anxious health is it has to be finessed. There needs to be a gradual conditioned improvement because if it happens too quick, again, our minds get the best of us and you can, uh, you can easily regress. So types of treatment, uh, you know, it, types of treatment all depend on the severity. It's from mild, moderate to severe and mild means, you know, you can, uh, you can, you have it, but you can still manage your day. You can get to school, you could get to class, you could get to family, you could get to work, et cetera. And it might be that underpinning and it comes in waves, usually when you're alone. Moderate will be that it happens in more than one setting and it's impairing you for like 50-ish percent of the time or more. And then there's severe where it, once it impairs you, it's 80 to 90, 100% impairment and you can't function, you can't think, you can't get through the day, you can't make decisions, you can't be logical, rational, et cetera. So individual techniques, going uh, back to my earlier point, there's endless options when it comes to coping skills. Coping skills have to do with distractions and distractions then leading to healthy habits um, and, 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 and kind of being able to have that arsenal uh, in your mindset. So these are going to be like individual techniques. These are things that you can learn from self-help books. You can learn from counselor, therapist, online, meditation, et cetera. So there's many different individual techniques. Uh, and once upon a time, it was focused to just having two or three genres of individual techniques. And now it's gone to you know, 30, 40, 50 uh, as well. So there's been a lot more research to push towards identifying different ways to help different uh, people at different ages and from different backgrounds. Uh, then there's therapy. Uh, I wrote some initials down here too. So CBT is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Basically what that is, is when we become very anxious, we start to become pessimistic. And if you ask me of something, I automatically have a negative thought, be like, oh, well, I can't do it because uh, I'm no good at it the la and, and, and I'm never gonna get better no matter how much I read, et cetera, et cetera. And what we call that is, is an automatic negative thought. And what CBT does, it takes your cognition, your thought, and then it applies a behavioral to it, a behavior to it, and you have to learn how to work past that anxious automatic negative thought and then get through any distress. And a key component of that is also introducing evidence, right? So if I hear on the news and I'm very anxious, if I hear on the news that there was somebody hit in a drive-by and they're riding your bike and I go out and I try to ride my bike, but I get too anxious because I think I'm going to get hit by a car. The question I would want to ask myself is, wait, am I being safe? Two, have I ever been hit by a car? And then three, do, are there any cars around that might hit me? And if so, what can I do to uh, practice safe uh, bike riding? Uh, you know, and that would be that step-by-step -step evolution that CBT can help you with because what ends up happening with an anxious mindset is you'll just have concrete one, uh, black and white thinking where if I go, I'm going to get hit by a car and then there's nothing in between. And sometimes your loved ones, your friends will be like, well, hold up, wait, what are you saying? And uh, that, that in-between ground needs to be worked on. So that's where CBT would come in. Uh, DBT is uh, short for dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh, this is when we, uh, when your anxiety is so severe that you just can't manage. And uh, even if someone tries to help you, you can't get grounded. 
Uh, and so it focuses on being very mindful of your scenario, your situation and where you are, and then build on that mindfulness um, and being uh, very, very hyper aware of your surroundings be, and then tackling that anxious distress one kind of onion layer at a time. And then IPT is interpersonal therapy. This is uh, if we uh, get anxious around a certain person, a family member, uh, or a boss, et cetera, how to improve our relationship dynamics uh, in that setting. Uh, but the most common one that we recommend and most research is CBT specifically. Uh, and then if it's moderate to severe and or unlimited amounts of panic attacks, then medicine uh, it, it can be introduced uh, and that can be introduced with or without therapy, depending on what kind of anxiety you're experiencing. Uh, typically, if it's panic attack without any triggers, uh, therapy is not going to be of too much benefit. But if it's generalized anxiety or any of the other anxieties, therapy can always benefit you because you're learning more about yourself and then how to manage that anxiety. Okay, so now coping skills. Uh, and I know we were talking about this a little bit earlier. The way I like to talk to clients, patients, and also teaching about coping skills is um, the theme there should be like being battle ready. And what I mean by that is on any given day, uh, if, if, our, if we start with going to school, talking to family, getting ourselves ready, uh, commuting to school, commuting to work, uh, and then uh, you know, going to the store to pick up something, et cetera, any one or any situation or anything can affect us. And what I break those different scenarios down into are mini battles, right? And so I, I especially depending on the severity of your anxiety, uh, each day can be a war. And again, I'm not taking a, try not to take a, a negative route to this, but uh, in, a, in a manner to improve your confidence. So have an arsenal of weapons that you can use and know when to use, right? So um, in battles, I'm sure, you know, when it comes to movies or TV scenarios, you've seen, you know, sometimes somebody will hold up a huge gun, but then the weaker person won't be able to. So that weapon isn't good for that person to use, right? And vice versa. So being battle ready is huge when it comes to coping skills. Um, and so from that breathing techniques, there's a variety of ways to conquer this. Uh, then there's progressive relaxation. Typically breathing techniques will evolve to progressive relaxation so you can self-soothe, become mindful, and then ground yourself so that way you can move on to that next scenario in a less anxious or fearful manner. Uh, another uh, kind of being battle ready is getting active and or to do something productive. And basically the theme there is it allows you to distract yourself from that anxious thought, that mindset, et cetera. And, uh, and the more active or product, uh, more active you are, the more productive the situation that you're in, or the more you are productive, the more you can reinforce yourself with positivity and, and build your confidence. And that way, the more experiences you have in that, that, that arsenal of memory, the easier it is to incorporate when you are in an anxious mindset, let's say again, you're on that battlefield front and you could tell yourself, oh, I've gone through this before. Or someone comes at you, starts yelling and screaming instead of getting really anxious, you can be like, oh, well, you know, just ignore and distract and then you can move forward. Uh, you know, and another uh, element, especially now more than most, since we're all at home more days than not, is to set a structure or to schedule uh, or a schedule that you can follow. And the more you're able to do this, the less there is for anxiousness to expand on. Uh, and again, these are kind of loosely speaking, but you can always can expand a bit more each time. So the hardest thing to do when you are anxious is to identify what you can and cannot control. And uh, like Sarah and I were talking about earlier, worries are typically something that you have a, fund a fundamental control over. And once it's done, it goes away. But if you can't control it, then the anxiety can continue to linger and then impair you uh, in the long-term manner. So that would be a, a core goal of learning about yourself. So therefore, you know which weapon or arsenal works best in that setting. Right, so for instance, can I control, for instance, the pol you know, politically, I'm sure all of us get frustrated, government, I'm sure we get frustrated, but yet there'll be so many of us that'll get so overwhelmed and frustrated that we, we become anxious on, is this gonna happen today? Are we gonna get more help for coronavirus, et cetera? Uh, but if, it, if you can't move it and put it away, it will continue to get the best of you. And in reality, we can't control how much funding, how much help we get 
so being able to identify that can help you stop your anxiety and then you can put it away and be like, all right, you know what, we'll see what happens. And so it doesn't turn into that impairing level of distress. Uh, another core goal with coping skills, they can continue to evolve. As we get older, different scenarios, different things happen to us, experiences happen to us, and sometimes we need to revitalize our arsenal of weapons. So coping skills can also continue to improve and get fine-tuned by you, whether that's, you know, putting in music and listening to something that you don't have any linked memories to or, uh, you know, trying a new uh, interest. Anything is possible just because we're trying to help you as a person, not you as a collective set of people. Kind of getting towards the end. So outside the box thinking, uh, specifically with the pandemic going on right now, we've been uh, incorporating a lot of different styles to help youth, young adults, et cetera, with. So goal here is to get to know yourself, right? And sometimes that's easier said than done, or we think we know ourselves, but we miss out on all the other cool aspects about ourselves. So often I'll have clients that'll come in for initial intakes and uh, halfway through, I'll just flat out ask, my, ask me, you know, what's the coolest thing about you? And typically the ones that are very, very anxious, they'll tell me about all these other details. But when I ask them what the coolest thing about them is uh, or any favorites, it's, I don't know. I've never been asked that question. I've never thought about it. You know, so really know yourself in regards to what are your favorites? What is the coolest thing about you? It's okay to be, you know, have a healthy amount of narcissism, not even narcissism, but just confidence in yourself. Like I like this, I favorite this, um, and this is what I'm interested in, or these are some of my dreams, et cetera. And just really being grounded with it. Uh, another thing outside the box, pursue an activity or interest you've been dreaming of this time more than most, whether, and these are some loosely speaking, but drawing, acting, photography. I have a client that just got into calligraphy and has been sending me more emails than I need, but uh, sending me the progress on her calligraphy. Uh, and this can also be, you know, whether you're into birds or any type of any, literally any interest uh, can be uh, can be expanded on. And you can also take the lead on uh, incorporating your friends in on this, too. Uh, this one is the newest of uh, the activities. It's call someone unfamiliar up to three people a week. And I've been getting a lot of positive feedback from this. Uh, so by this, I literally mean picking up the phone, calling and just talking to someone. And what I mean by unfamiliar is not total strangers, but someone that you haven't been in communication with for at least the last seven days. Uh, and the emphasis here is not to have a uh, 30 or 40 or an hour long conversation, but just checking up on them. Hey, how are you? Or if you had a memory of the last time you hung out, bringing that up again, be like, hey, I was thinking about this and it was a lot of fun. You know, hopefully we can do that again. Or that was a lot of fun. Just reliving that memory with them and then hoping, you know, that they're okay. Uh, and along with the calling on familiar people or in this type of setting, the other caveat to that is sometimes when you're anxious, uh, you want to get that gratification right away. So for instance, like on Instagram or Snapchat, you want to get that like right away or the feedback right away. And that gives you that inner sense of confidence. I'm like, all right, I did a good thing. The thing about calling someone else is you might get that delayed gratification where a week from now, a couple more days than that, or a couple weeks from now, that person might call you back or text you be like, hey, you know what? That meant a lot. And that could give you that residual long-term positive effect, which then you could put it again in your arsenal and you could expand on going forward. Call to action. So going back to Debbie's point, kind of nearing, nearing to the end, this one, basically, you know, how to help yourself is one element and then how to support someone else is another huge one, especially these days. Uh, people, again, because of the unprecedented times, people might not know how to ask for help, how to ask for support, et cetera. And sometimes they just want to be heard. So learning how to support yourself can be, or sorry, how to support someone else can be huge and um, building on those experiences can be even more impactful. Uh, you know, so if you support someone else, we would love to hear about it. We could talk about that in a bit. Uh, and then also creating a distraction that evolves into a habit. Uh, and I was having a dialogue with, uh, you know, Humanity Rising the other day on, on why distraction, not a habit. And the reason for that is because we want to first see if the small distraction works, whether that's, uh, you know, squirrel or saying that to yourself on any given day or just music or any other thing that you feel like has worked once and then doing it at least a multitude of times in different settings to the point where it becomes conditioned and then becomes a habit. So that can be an underlying theme that can really improve anybody's anxious state, mindset, or way of thinking. Lastly, just a few, one thing that I want to reiterate, I'm sure you know, a lot of us have maybe come, come across is how not to support someone. 
specifically, uh, this comes down to words, scenarios, or things that we might say. Uh, I have a little bit of practice from this because I have an older sister. So I, I once I, when I was younger, would say things that I thought were helping, but in reality, they were not. Those would be terms like using concrete statements, like, hey, just relax, or calm down. That one has never gone well. Uh, more often than not, I, I remember saying it to my sister, and she would react with, oh, I'll show you calm, right? So it would trigger someone that's already trying to calm down. And then the one that bothers more clients than not is, hey, don't worry about it. You know, the caveat there is if they could relax, they would. If they could not worry about it, they would. You know, and if they could calm down, they would. So try not to point out the obvious. What, what ends up happening when you're trying to support someone is they want to be validated. And when you say a statement like just relax, calm down, or don't worry about it, that doesn't validate the anxiety or the distress. It just minimizes or makes them feel uh, unheard, right? So uh, keeping that in mind is huge um, as well. Um, I think, yeah, so not validating the anxiety. But yeah, so in summary, you know, kind of just jumped uh, kind of through this, but just want to make sure we have a little bit of time for question and answer. Uh, just keeping in mind that anxiety is a chameleon. Uh, it can affect anyone at any age uh, and treatment has endless types of options and medicine is not always the answer. Therapy uh, can be very beneficial. Learning about yourself is huge uh, and getting to identify where your strengths are is, you know, is, it will, is and always will be awesome for yourself. Uh, and then, you know, feel, if you feel validated, you can be validated and then you can validate others. 